Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Searching for Political Identity. I have got Aaron Day, presidential candidate, a new Twitter friend. Aaron, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You're running for president. You're from, you live in New Hampshire? Yes. Now that's like the freedom capital of America, right? It absolutely is. It's the free state. I, I, came, I came to New Hampshire as part of the free state project, which is a when? big movement to get 20. Uh, I, I came here in 2009. So I've been here for 14 years. Where'd you move from? Well, I was in Massachusetts, but I was I was in Massachusetts because of one of the startups that I had uh, had put together. I was actually originally from Indiana and then spent some time in Florida. Hmm. So like a tech, are you were you in the tech world? Was it a startup I was in, in tech, tech or was it just a, a different? I, I actually started an e-commerce company in 1995, and then uh, and then did a healthcare company in 2004. So I've been in a whole variety of different startups and and a whole cross so section of of industries. Uh, I'm 47. I started my first company when I was 19. Wow. Now, did you go to school for business, or were you just into business? I, I dropped out of Duke. So I, when I when I started my first company, I was I just finished my first year in college. Wow. So, so what uh, was that like? Well, you you must have just been exhilarated. Yeah, it was it was absolutely incredible. I um, I brought six folks that I went to high school. I went to this gifted and science uh, gifted and talented science and math school in Indiana mm. for my junior and senior year of high school, and I recruited. Uh, I, I got six of my. Um, classmates to convince their parents to drop out of college as well, which, wow. which that was probably one of the bigger undertakings. But yeah, no, it was an absolute thrill because at that point in time, you, you, you haven't experienced uh, college beats indoctrinates you and kind of tries to beat the creativity out of you and mm. limit what you might think is possible. So when you start something <clears throat> at that age without those constraints, it's amazing what you can, what you can accomplish. Wow. Why did no, okay, that's such an interesting comment. Now I went to Rutgers. Um, I ended up at Rutgers. I should say I didn't go right out of high school and uh, in, interned at a recording studio in Manhattan for six months. Then I went to community college for two, two years after deciding hey, I should probably get an education, ended up at Rutgers with my friends, but missed those first two years. So interesting that you say college is so limiting. Why do you say that? Well, it's limiting mostly because what college is about is teaching you what to think, not how to think. So uh, there's there's very much it, it's about pushing you down very rigid tracks. And I think the longer you're in academia, I mean, particularly if you go master's degree, PhD, et cetera, I mean, you kind of get locked into a very specific worldview and your livelihood depends on you reinforcing that worldview mm. because <clears throat> as you get more education, you uh find yourself very specialized. And if you don't toe the party line, you find yourself unemployable. Right. Once you so become specialized, I, I, you're either right or wrong. You're, you're either right or wrong. And and most people are unwilling to admit if they're wrong. And so they end up doubling down, which this ends up involving a lot of cronyism and government intervention and a lot of other things. So um, I, I think education is hugely important. I mean, I've, I, you know, I, I believe in learning, but I believe that our academic institutions at all levels, including higher level educational institutions, have become much more about indoctrination. And there's no feedback mechanism, right? I mean, if you're a university, you're getting a bunch of funding from the government. You have student loans that can't be discharged through a bankruptcy process. So basically, people are buying your inflated product 
and can't even you know default on debt like they could on on other debt. So, so universities aren't getting any market signal that says whether their product is working or not. Mm. Um, I, I think we're going to see a, because of AI just dramatic uh, shifts in in education in the next twenty four months. This isn't even going to mm-hmm. be. I'm not even talking ten years from now. Mm. I have twins. They're they're twelve. And, you know, this is a big, you know, big question for me. They're in Montessori school right now, but I'm even thinking, you know, once they get into kind of high school, what does that even look like? Because mm-hmm. even, <laughs> some, you know, STEM is going to be replaced by AI already. I mean, I've been spending a lot of time even working on this campaign. I've been working with and experimenting with different different AI models. I And as somebody who started a tech company when I was 19 in 1995, I've, I've, I've always been interested in tech. I have never seen... Uh, technology that evolves as rapidly as this. I mean, it's not even it's not even close. Even in the span of writing this book, like I've used AI to help me do research, mm. to help me do editing, and just in mm. the span of ninety wow. days, AI has gone from something that was you know kind of clunky, maybe a little bit inaccurate. You could only deal with small amounts, maybe five hundred words at a time. To I was able to run my book, it wasn't written by AI, but I, 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 the final book was like 50,000 words. And I was able to use a, a new AI called Claude by a company called Anthropic and actually paste the entire book in one pass and have it give me a list of 10 recommendations to improve the book, like holistically mm. looking at, okay, mm. all of the chapters and everything else, what, what are some improvements that I, and it just gave all that of back that. to you right away. Boom. It gave it back to me instantly. And I, and this is, so this is just in the span of 90 days of writing, writing a book. So, right. you know, when I, uh, you know, talk to my kids and, and I've showed AI to my kids, I mean, now chat GPT can interface with other apps. And so I, you know, again, we're, we're talking about beyond exponential growth. Does this concern you stuff. like Elon Musk, um, you know, expresses concerns about the potential for it. What do you think about this stuff? Well, you know, technology. Uh, the, the, yes, there's there's always concern. I mean, technology can always be misused, right? Um, right that right. that's uh, it, so it's it's all about the intent and all about who uses it. The, the problem that I have is, I think government is not equipped to regulate it. Uh, you, if you, government, when government regulates things, it tends to do it to the benefit of existing industry players and to incumbents and to cronies, not for the good of society. So when I look at the people in Congress and their understanding of these issues, I don't think that they're necessarily going to regulate it in a good way. They're going to regulate it in a way that's good for ExxonMobil, that's going to be good for Microsoft, and that's going to be good for Goldman Sachs. They're not going to regulate it in a way that's good for you or me. That's that's that my is, issue. Is but... it because is it because they're just getting money, you know, through uh um what's the word I'm looking for? Um you know, every every person has the right to redress their government. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> um, you know, it's legal in this country. The word's escaping me, but paying what, to... lobbying? Yes, thank you. Is so, it just because well, of lobbying? Well, I mean, it's 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 legal, but that doesn't mean that, that right. it works properly. I mean, I, I think that what made America great uh, initially upon its founding was that the founders understood the limitations of government. They understood that government tends to become more corrupt over time. And so the whole intent was to put safeguards, checks and balances in place and to write down in the form of a constitution what how the government is limited and and to give all of the other rights 
to either the states or the people. Unfortunately, fast forward 240 years later, and now it's an absolute behemoth. The mm -hmm. civil service is out of control, but it's also uncontainable because at this point in time, I mean, the truth is whoever gets elected president, there's not much you can actually do in terms of unwinding the bureaucracy. I mean, you get elected, you're going to have gridlock, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're not going to have a red or a blue wave. It's very obvious that this state, uh, the country is at a 50-50 standstill. So, so there will be no mandate, which just mm -hmm. basically means gridlock is a great concept if the government that you have is limited and, right. uh, and is following the Constitution. Gridlock is not great when you have $32 trillion in debt, $75 mm -hmm. trillion dollars of unfunded liabilities. You're on the brink of World War III in China and Russia, and you have complete you know, turmoil and rapidly developing technology that people don't know what to do with. And that's that's the state that we're in now. So I, but th so there are concerns about AI, but I, at the same time, I actually, one of the things that I like about what's going on with AI is the competition. That's that's probably the most exciting thing to me because think about what happened. I mean, I remember back, I'm, I'm not a Bill Gates fan by any stretch of the imagination, but the, the antitrust stuff against Bill Gates was was absurd, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, at the time, everybody's like, oh my God, Internet Explorer, they're shipping Internet Explorer with all versions of their operating system. Uh, this is awful. Right. They're going to have a monopoly on this, right? Well, what, what ended up happening? Well, it wasn't the government's actions that stopped Microsoft. It was Google coming out with a better product. Right. I mean, the idea that that like technological monopolies can be broken by competition. All government does is restrain development and innovation broadly. For instance, everybody was concerned 60 days ago, 90 days ago with OpenAI and ChatGPT. Everybody's like, my God, these guys are way ahead of the curve. They've got version four. And I would say just fast forwarding two months. I, so when I'm playing around with these AIs, I think Google in many respects through BARD has already surpassed uh, ChatGPT and this new anthropic Claude thing. But you also have NVIDIA, Amazon, uh, it, multiple players right. competing. And so, so I think it's competition that is what will keep AI in check, not government regulation. And I'm just, I'm just reminded whenever I see these politicians, I remember Ted Stevens, there's a video, former senator from the state of Alaska and there, where he was in a hearing and he was trying to explain how the internet runs on a series of tubes. And I mean, there are all kinds of parody videos right, about right. his explanation of this. Mr. But, Zuckerberg, how does it make money if it's free? That, yeah, exactly. I mean, so, so it's Congress is not exactly filled with technologically enlightened folks. And so I, I so I worry about what, whatever their regulatory approach is going to be. And I would at the same time promote, that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be regulation, but I, I think that you can have self-regulation. I think that uh, it's possible for the industry groups to come together and for the players to come together for their own benefit. And this I is like saying much... this is like saying the airlines, in a way, um, you know, we we don't need uh, safety regulations because it's not good business to kill your passengers. You know, so quick question before we go on, because we have a lot to get to, would you dismantle uh, safety? architecture like that uh in the name of limited government and competition well, I, I, I think well i think you could do that broadly for for everything now how to do that is is another situation because there's always a question of, so should i say could i say ideologically right. things are better done when they're self-regulated yes i can say that ideologically but that's not the starting point so how you unwind from where we are today i mean i look at 
I, the FDA may be one of the most lethal uh, organizations in the government. Uh, you know, in terms of there are all kinds of modalities for health that aren't even allowed or you can't even talk about or you're jailed mm -hmm. if you say that you have a cure or or you promote anything that is outside of the confines of big pharma. And the FDA regulators are absolutely captured by big pharma. And this whole debacle with covid demonstrated that. So mm -hmm. the stated intention of the FDA is to keep people safe. In reality, it's a revolving door between big pharma and the regulators. And it, that more people have died from, from big pharma than in all U.S. participation in world wars. Amazing. Really startling. So is Thomas Jefferson your hero? I mean, I don't have any, any particular hero. I, you know, I, I like to say, I'll look at the pros and cons of, of every individual, but I, I choose not to have heroes because it, it prevents you from being disappointed. So mm. I, I like positive and I, I like certain attributes from certain people and certain attributes from others. So let me rephrase the question. Do, do you like his ideas about government? I like some of his ideas about government. What 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 do you like and what didn't you like? Oh, we don't go. need to spend too much time on him, but I want to get in a flight. Like, tell me about your philosophies because you're kind of. Well, let me ask you this. As a libertarian, is are libertarians generally Thomas Jefferson fans? Every libertarian has a completely different view. So however many libertarians you're talking to, you're going to have a completely different set of, of responses. There is no that's one of the things that I, I can say about libertarians is there's there isn't there, there isn't a lot of con consensus necessarily. There are a lot of individual opinions. Mm -hmm. OK, fair enough. So what so New Hampshire so what's going on in New Hampshire? Well, so the Free State Project is uh, continuing to grow. In fact, I'm, I just announced today I, my first I haven't done any campaign events because I've been working on these books. So the book that uh, that you've seen, that's the first one. I'm going to be launching another one in you know probably the August, September time frame. And, and it's those two books that have the content that I'm going to go you know across the country mm. speaking about. Uh, but my first event that I'm going to have is actually going to be at Pork Fest, which is the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It's uh, there are about 2,000 people that show up every year uh, in the woods and uh, at a campground in in New Hampshire to uh, to discuss and and explore all things uh, liber libertarian and pro liberty. Is this the um, biggest event of the year for the Free State Project? It's the biggest event of the year for the Free State Project, and and frankly, I think it's the it may be the biggest pro liberty event in the world um uh, yeah two thousand people for one week it's a mm -hmm. it's a huge deal and there are hundreds of speakers and people are actually staying on the campgrounds and there are activities now for kids i mean it's been interesting this is the 20th year of the the festival so i haven't been for a few years so i'm actually pretty excited to to go back and, and to connect connect with people do you and like to party do you like to party aaron i'm just curious do i like the party yeah oh do do i like the party do you like to party no, not, not really. I, 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 at this point, it, in, in, at my age, no, not, not so much. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, boring in that regard. I mean, I don't, I don't even drink or, or anything. I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, pretty boring in that All regard. Right, Trump. Like, well, keto diet, you know, focus on trying to get enough sleep. I guess maybe right. that's more of a function of, of age than anything. No, else. no, for sure. But no, I, I, I just like getting a little flavor for, for you and I'm getting it. Wow. So that's what's going on in New Hampshire. So, so 
why did New Hampshire, and we will get to your book, believe me, and your presidential platform, believe me, but why is New Hampshire the place for freedom? Well, New Hampshire is the place for freedom. There was a whole selection process when the Free State Project started. Uh, it was started by a guy named Jason Sorens, who was uh, studied political science at, at Yale and, and, and came up with this idea. And it, it, there was an entire process to, to pick a state where you could have outsized influence. And it just turns out that, one, it's a small state, so there are only 1.3 million people in the state of New Hampshire. But on top of that, the the motto for New Hampshire is live free or die already. So so this state is already like like there's it's it's not like free staters. Free staters didn't come in and take over New Hampshire. New Hampshire was already pro-liberty. If anything, I'd like to say that the Free State Project is an insurance policy against people moving here from Massachusetts and, and from other places that that might you know, want to impose a more expansive view of government. If anything, the Free State Project is just protecting what is, because the government in New Hampshire is very interesting. We have a 400-person uh, state House of Representatives and a 24-person uh, state Senate. So literally for a population of 1.3 million people, we have a deliberative body that is almost the same size as the United States Congress, which means uh, the people are 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 very represented in terms of people actually know and have accessibility to their legislators in this state, um, and are are, are uh, they're only paid like a hundred dollars a year for state reps, mm-hmm. and I think it's two hundred dollars a year for for state senate. So so you there's not a lot of influence of money here. So you have a very decentralized, large uh, deliberative body that's not easily influenced by outside financial interests so that that is very unique for new hampshire excellent so this first book that you got and first of all thank you for joining me i'm honored that you that you are here with me so this first book that you have the final countdown crypto gold so we tell you it's a long um subtitle but for search engine purposes the final countdown crypto gold silver and the people's last stand against tyranny by central bank digital currencies. Okay, this is in the news a lot lately with COVID and we're going to be like China. What's the skinny on what's going on in this domain? Well, yeah, let, let, I'll give a little introduction to this as well. So I was very involved in politics from 2012 until 2018. And I ran a super PAC, helped get 100 people elected. I ran for US Senate, did a whole bunch of things focused on New Hampshire. And then frankly, I, I got disaffected by the political process in general and moved entirely into crypto. So I've been living off of crypto since 2019. I have mm-hmm. been involved in crypto since 2012. In fact, you will find one of the other Liberty hallmarks of, of New Hampshire is uh, I think you have the highest usage of cryptocurrency per capita of anywhere in the world in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And so the Liberty community here, I, so Porkfest was promoting and accepting Bitcoin for tickets for events as early as 2012, I believe. Mm. So there is a huge community. So there will be no dollars exchanged on, at Porkfest. <laughs> there may be dollars exchanged, but that's another part of Porkfest is there are a lot of merchants there and a lot of people. There's one guy, uh, Mandrake, who who would he he would sell these like bacon weave things at Porkfest and he and he sold them for uh, Bitcoin like 10 years ago. And now he's, you know, he doesn't have to work again just right. from selling these things or selling baklava. Motherfucker. 
So, so it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, he didn't even I, make six of his friends drop out to join his business. No, no, he did. He didn't. I, so, so who, who knew, but, yeah. uh, but, but crypto has been a big part of, uh, of the, of the New Hampshire scene. And, you know, and I've known for a long time that fiat currency that always fails. I mean, it, that's it, what all the libertarians are telling me. And so is it really on its way out fiat? It, it is. This is a, this is actually, I have a chapter in, in the book about this. Um, and actually I have a thread on this. Fiat currency has been tried thousands of times in human history. It has a 0% success rate. A guy wrote a book where he analyzed 775 fiat currencies and found the average fiat currency only lasts for 27 years. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, people say insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Literally, fiat has a 0% success rate. And when you drill down into it even further, this guy that did this analysis of 775 currencies, he came up with a an analysis of well, what usually causes these fiat currencies to fail. And the seven criteria are inflation, loss of confidence, debt overload, economic mismanagement, currency competition, political turmoil, and technological changes. So yeah, we've got all of them right now. We have literally all of them. So when in the book, I compare and I go through and I look at you know, the, the Berlin post-World War One and their currency. I look at Zimbabwe, Argentina, El Salvador, a whole bunch of these little case studies. But to be honest, the dollar is the worst of them all. And most people just don't think about this. And the reason they don't think about this is the U.S. dollar has been the global reserve currency since 1920. So basically everybody alive on the planet is used to the dollar being the global reserve currency. But what people aren't aware of is that there, there have been the average global reserve currency only lasts for about a hundred years. So before the dollar was the pound sterling from the UK, it lasted one hundred and five years. The French franc uh, in France landed lasted for ninety five years. The Dutch guilder lasted for eighty years. The Spanish dollar lasted for one hundred and ten years. And then if you go back to fourteen fifty, you have the Portuguese real, which was the global reserve currency for eighty years. So every indicator is flashing that the dollar is on the way out. And you're mm -hmm. seeing that in terms of the dollar is used now in less than 50% of, of global transactions. You think it's Biden downside. could have done anything to stave this off or was it coming either way? Nobody could do anything to mm -hmm. stave this off. I can't do anything to stave this off. That I mean, that's- and that's So what, what does this what look like for Americans, for America and the world? This well, new world that it, we're gonna be in. So what it typically looks like, because if you, well, you say to yourself, well, what happens when a global reserve currency collapses? Well, usually when one global reserve currency collapses, that that country goes through a, a, a state of collapse and, and somebody else emerges as the new global reserve currency. And then they go through a similar life and death cycle. And then the process repeats over and over again, although in many cases, this <laughs> world war may, may result as as part of the uh, part of the outcome of this, which I don't know that we could survive a world war. This is why we'll come back the, to the war. I'm going to make a note because I want to talk about war in this context. We'll come, please go on. So, but they, as typically happens in this situation, they already have an alternative. So there's a big movement towards centralization and globalization. And that's something that I, I, I learned in this book. And this is all about what central bank digital currencies are about. So there's going to be a push to replace fiat currency with a much more potent and worse form of fiat currency, which is central bank digital currency, which basically will give government the complete control to censor your money. 
and and to decide how you use it. If you don't spend your money, they'll they can claw back that money. They can implement social credit systems like they've done in China. So this is their plan. Their plan is to move towards more centralization and more authoritarianism. And in fact, there are five groups that are really working in coordination on setting a lot of these standards for CBDCs. And that's the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, World Bank, IMF, and Bank of International Settlements. And so these groups are working together, uh, holding events and setting a lot of these standards. And a lot of this goes down to supporting the UN's agenda 2030, which is a series of 17, uh, they call it sustainable development goals, but essentially involves the centralization and standardization of everything from healthcare to environmental policy to food production and everything else. And so is this evil this, in your mind or is it misguided? I, I think it's completely evil. And I think with, with most things, though, and this is actually this ties in to my earlier comment about education, you have a small group of elite at the top that know what's going on and have ill intent, but then everybody else is just following orders and has actually been convinced that what they're doing is is the right thing. So this I asked is you if happened. it was evil because you're obviously a very bright guy, person and grounded, you know, to have the success you've had, the life you've had. So why why use the word evil? Well, it's evil from my standpoint, which is, I guess, my, yeah, my core beliefs are I believe in in free will versus determinism. I, b I believe in love versus fear. And I believe in decentralization versus centralization. And so I view something that really is around fear, determinism, and centralization to be evil. I would define it that I would define that right. in that way, because I think it, it now their intent may be different. And then this would, you'd have to get into a different conversation about the nature of reality and consciousness and everything else. But I, I think we are here to have free will and to be able to make decisions and to make choices, even bad choices. And what they're implementing kind of presupposes an existence where you have a central authority literally determining what you can do, what you can eat, uh, what you can think, how you can act, what information you can post, what information you can mm. share. And to me, that's not even living. That's not even existence. Mm. That's anti-existence, which in that regard, I could call that evil. Well said. So the powers that be are trying to push us away from the fiat currency we have into a new worst form of fiat currency. Yes. And, and where does, yeah. yeah, go on. And so I got out of politics and got in entirely into crypto in 2019. So I live off of, of crypto. Um, uh, it, it's not easy. I, I mean, I'm not claiming this is actually a PNC. It's actually, it, it's, it's, it's annoying, but I, I believe very much in the idea of where you place your attention is, is where you place your energy. And I, I so I tend to not like hedge. I want to put my energy behind things that, that I actually believe in, but in the process of being all in on crypto, what I've witnessed is not only the growth of CBDC, but the crackdown globally on decentralized cryptocurrency. And, and there's a, a whole bunch of the book talks about crypto because there are tens of thousands of coins and most of them are horrible. Most of them that aren't innovative. They don't solve any problems. But the Bitcoin white paper solves some very interesting uh, problems with the fiat system itself. It truly is a revolution in money because it separates money from state and ultimately via, via the blockchain well via the via the blockchain by the fact that the issuance of new there's a fixed supply of 
of coins, there will only be 21 million Bitcoin, and they're determined by a competitive system of what are called miners that are solving these math problems and creating new coins the, you know, the, every 10 minutes in the case of Bitcoin. So if, if your miner solves the, the math problem, then, then you generate you know, n n these new coins every 10 minutes. It's not done arbitrarily by the state. So obviously we have an infinite supply of fiat currency. We've printed 40% of the dollars that have ever been in existence since 2020, just in the United States. That isn't possible. So you actually have a a fixed supply. And it's also censorship resistant because of the way that it works. It's completely decentralized by design. So there is no central authority that can can freeze the funds. So this solves some of the uh, real core issues that have been at the root of why fiat currency has failed thousands of times throughout throughout human history. So this is what my excitement is. This is why I, I saw crypto not as a get rich scheme at all. I, I saw it as a, it's a replacement for money. It's a new, sound, stable, decentralized form of money that can liberate and create freedom globally. And I've, and I've used it. I've, I've, I've transacted with people all over the world. Um, I, I like a Raven coin. I like a specific set of, of, of cryptocurrencies that are based off of Bitcoin. So they all have to be decentralized, use this proof of work methodology. They, they can't have raised money or even be owned by a corporate entity. They're open source protocols. But I mean, I've bought artwork. I've bought sil silver. I've bought NFTs. I've bought things all over the world from people uh, nearly instantaneously with transaction fees that are a fraction of a penny, which you can't even do with the traditional banking system. Mm -hmm. So it's liberating, particularly for people in poor countries. It's a, it's a new form of of money that that absolutely changes the game. But in being in crypto, I've seen the government government crack down in a whole variety of different ways. And I've seen it really close up here in New Hampshire. Uh, one of the free staters that I know is uh, Jeremy Kaufman. And he mm -hmm. started a company. I've heard of him. I don't know anything about him. I have seen his name on Twitter, I should say. He started a company called Library, which which is a, a protocol for basically creating a decentralized version of YouTube on the blockchain so that you basically imagine YouTube without the censorship hmm. and and then built a company on top of, of that called Odyssey, which is an app that you can download. And that's more of a for-profit business that I believe has advertising associated with it. The SEC came down and cracked down on him. Uh, he spent five years uh, in, in legal fees because the SEC wanted to make the claim that that his token was illegal. And they picked him, in my opinion, because his organization wasn't that large and because what his offering does, what his platform does, which you should consider for your podcast, because mm -hmm. I, I I don't know if you've experienced censorship. I no. have experienced no, massive I, I, censorship. I, you have? Uh, massive. I, you know, Facebook, I, I you know, the last year I used, I, I was banned for 120 days. Anything that I wrote about COVID, even things that I wrote about crypto. Well, I did, you know, I did get... um kicked off of Facebook. And I think it was because of a, a comment I made, you know, I think this was when um, they were cracking down on the, in the free press in Hong Kong. And I, I made yep. some comment about it. Uh, I, I said something, I guess that was kind of in a, edgy. I said, I guess there's a fine, I don't, something like there's a fine line between freedom fighting and terrorism. I don't know, but it was, maybe it was inappropriate, but yeah, it didn't seem like I should have gotten banned, but. No, and then it's retroactive, and now we know from the Twitter files that the FBI and multiple agencies have direct access into these big tech companies. So there's no, it's no longer a conspiracy theory. There's documented proof that there is a full coordinated effort 
by the FBI, DHS, NSA, and others to explicitly, you know, censor and remove uh, content. And a lot of that content, frankly, is is accurate content. And the stuff that happened mm -hmm. with COVID is is an absolute travesty. But I've I've I, you know I've been dealing with that for a long time. But my but I digress here. So Jeremy created this solution, and they have over a million users. Um, so this is this uh, not system. Odyssey, but the um... Li library, L -B -R -Y. library. Yeah. Um, uh, and there are still to this day a million people, but they basically bankrupted him. He had to, mm. you know, fire his entire team. All of his money went into legal fees. Uh, I think he lost forty forty four million dollars was the was the fine. They've since walked that back, wow. but not not to his benefit, but because uh, uh, they they there's no money to to get out of the situation. So that's one example that I've seen in crypto. Another is a guy named Ian Freeman who. Um, Along with this partner, Mark Edge, they have this syndicated radio show called Free Talk Live, which is, uh, I think they have hundreds of, they're on hundreds of stations across uh, the country. And I actually learned about the Free State Project from them. When I was in Massachusetts, I remember listening to to their show. So Ian was really early into crypto and he introduced a lot of people to it. In fact, he introduced a guy named Roger Ver to uh, Bitcoin. And Roger Ver is known as Bitcoin Jesus. And uh, he, he started Bitcoin Cash. And literally, Roger went around the world evangelizing Bitcoin, you know, over a decade ago, and is probably responsible for a significant portion of people finding out about it. He learned mm -hmm. about that from Ian and Mark here at the Free State Project. Well, Ian got into the uh, business of having Bitcoin ATMs and helping to onboard people uh, that wanted to uh, meet up and exchange their fiat currency for Bitcoin. And he was raided by the FBI, Treasury, IRS. Like there's there's a documentary coming out about it. And mm -hmm. and they went after him for operating a, a business without a, 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 a license, um, money laundering, a, a whole bunch of other things, uh, just for exchanging fiat currency for Bitcoin. And he now faces eight years in prison. It's called the Crypto Six. So I've... So part of what reinvigorated me uh, in, in terms of getting involved was the COVID tyranny in 2020, because, you know, again, I've got 12 year old kids and I, I have never had less freedom mm -hmm. in my entire life than I had in 2020. And that's even being in the Liberty Bastion of New Hampshire. Right. The, so is that what prompted you to, to decide to run for president? Must have. That prompted it in conjunction with the crackdown on cryptocurrency because right. which in you my were already heavily invested in in more than one way well i was heavily invested in i'm heavily invested in it conceptually because i'm invested right. that's in that's what the i idea mean not just money. literally but but emotionally and conceptually hey um aaron can we pause real quick and come back in so we don't run against this time limit i don't want to take too much more of your time but i don't want i, I want to i want to have some more of it can we come back in sure okay great thanks okay so where were you and you're teaching me about bitcoin and What's going on with it? Well, so I think I was at the point where basically um, I, I exited politics because I, I think politics is a lost cause. And and I still do, by, by the way. I mean, I'm right. running for president. The key part of my message in running for president is that we, the people, have all of the power. And the, the number one issue, it really is this issue around money and around CBDC. And honestly, when you read this book, I, the book scared me writing it, which mm -hmm. is pretty interesting because I have a pretty high tolerance for this kind of thing. What I learned about writing the book was absolutely breathtaking in terms of how far along 
CBDC is and how far along the surveillance state is. I mean, you asked earlier about, you know, evil, you know, why would I use a, a word like evil? Did you know by the end of this year, a billion people across the globe will have CBDC? There are already 261 million CBDC wallets in China. It will be rolled out to the entire country by the end of the year. China already has a complex social credit system that penalizes you at such a micro level. For instance, if you don't visit your elderly parents frequently enough, it takes off points. If you go to the grocery store and you add two bottles of alcohol to your shopping cart, but then you ultimately decide to take one back and only buy one, they punish you for the intent and for pushing, put, putting two of the bottles into the shopping cart to begin with. There are 200 million surveillance cameras in now, China. What does punishing mean in this case? Taking away some of the money? Punishment means you have a social credit score just like we have a credit score system here. And as you move through the different tiers, you get cut off access to transportation. You get cut off access to housing. You have different options for education. Your internet access uh, and bandwidth may be slowed down. So it's total be behavior control. It's total behavior control, and it's already implemented. Everything that I've and that it's I've bad, and they hate, do the people hate it in China? You think it 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 varies, and a lot of it varies based on age. So, and then the question is, well, how much of a fair, honest shake are you going to get about it? Because it's not like people in China that are one Blink of twice the things, if you're really happy with it. <laughs> well, no, like one of the things that you get punished for and penalized for is for posting negative content on social media. So how in reality would you even know if people right. are happy with so it? So this or is not? the what polar opposite of the First Amendment. It's the polar opposite of, of the First Amendment, but the most dangerous words in in the English language are it could never happen in America. Anybody who thinks look, we are so far away from the Constitution. Mm -hmm. That I, I mean, it's almost hard to express And this from my even my life experience. I'm not old. I'm only 47. But I mean, I just 9-11. You look at the Patriot mm -hmm. Act. You look at Ed Snowden's book and what he outlined in terms of the amount of surveillance, illegal surveillance. I mean, people in Langley can press a button and turn on your camera, access all the files on your computer. There are already 85 million security cameras in the United States. Mm -hmm. The average American has their picture taken, I think, 75 times a day, not including what pictures they take themselves and put on social media. We're already under a surveillance state and mm. uh, COVID just ramped that up in terms of then adding other layers to it in terms of things like contact tracing. And then what we mm -hmm. have seen with the um, infiltration into social media and also mainstream media, which we, we also know from the church committee from the 70s, uh, and from other information, the CIA and the FBI has they have plants directly in the major media outlets, and they completely and directly uh, control and manipulate the population through our own mainstream media channels. And by the way, that, that mm. all of that is the subject of my second book. But mm. here's the thing. So if you think that it can't happen in America, this is what you have to understand also uh, in the book. Uh, there have been three successful CBDC pilots in the United States. There was one conducted between 2020 and 2022 between the Boston Federal Reserve and a group out of MIT. They have a central bank digital currency that can handle 1.7 million transactions per second. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you why that's important. 
the global financial system today, the fiat system can handle 150,000 transactions per second. Um, Bitcoin can handle seven transactions per second and there are nuances with that and then there are different versions of bitcoin so you could say maybe maybe bitcoin and all of the related bitcoin type currencies can handle fifty thousand transactions per second their cbdc already does 1.7 million um they've done a wholesale cbdc pilot a wholesale just simply means uh between banks and between financial institutions so they can actually use cbdc I, I, one of the big problems in the financial sector right now is cross-border transactions because you have all of these banks and each bank essentially has their own database. And so trying to figure out how to, to send money is very costly. Uh, there are errors associated with it and everything else. They have they have tested successfully a CBDC that, that solves that. And then worse than that, there's something called a uh, regulatory liability network, a third pilot, which basically will create a framework that will connect CBDCs and all other digital assets, which will which in essence, the short form of this means you will be able to have one or more centralized entities like the Federal Reserve or whoever, whoever it, the FBI, whoever it needs to be, that can actually not only censor your money, but could censor any digital assets that you might have. So for instance, if, you're, if your computer or your car was tokenized, they could actually block your ability to transfer the token representing your physical assets in addition to being able to shut off your digital cash. All of those pilots have been done. So in the news, you'll hear the chairman of the Federal Reserve say, well, we haven't decided about CBDC yet and everything else. But when you examine the pilots that they've done, the technology is on the shelf. They're mm -hmm. basically just looking for how to sell it to people and how to get, and I would say usher an emergency to usher it in. But once you have central bank digital currency, then you have social credit scores and everything else. And again, this stuff is all tied to UN uh, agenda 2030 and, and all of those goals. So there is absolutely intent on this form of money and these groups, the WEF and uh, World Bank and, and UN and others have, have also talked about the threat of decentralized currency because they don't want their central banks to, to lose control. So they are trying to shape social policy and they are trying to control human behavior, but it's much further than anyone could think. There are 120 CBDC pilots going on globally. Every developed nation has one going on, and, and the United States could implement it very quickly. In fact, there's something called FedNow, which is being implemented in July of this year, which will basically, it's not a CBD itself, but it is a, uh, it's a, it's basically the rails. If, if CBDC is the train, FedNow is the rails. So it will allow for instantaneous communication uh, between between banks. And so that goes live across the country in, in July. So when I started this campaign, and before I started writing the book, I was telling people, I think we have between one and three years until we are facing CBDC. After researching the book and, and actually the developments that have happened as I've been writing the book, mm -hmm. I think we have less than 12 months. And, and, and again- and Your so, proposed yeah. solution, you have a solution. Yes, I have a proposed solution. And 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 here's the thing. It's not political. So so I'm not worried about the 2024 election. I'm worried about getting to the 2024 election. Mm. I think that's how dire the situation is right. right now. And so what people can do is take their money out of the banks 
as quickly as they can. So you you are legitimately afraid for America's life right now. One hundred percent, like absolutely one hundred percent. Look, just in the span, look at how much freedom we've lost just since twenty twenty. I mean, people were locked into their houses, forced to wear masks. Some people were forced to take a vaccine that was well to be charitable untested, I would argue that public health is actually a depopulation death cult and that it was by design. But that's, you know, that's a separate book and a separate topic. So the data, do you think the data, and we will get back to your solution. You were just getting to your solution. We will get to that in a second. But on COVID now, (laughs) evil population control, explain that a little more to me. Once you start tracking like for instance, the UN, the the uh, uh, the very first head of the the UN Scientific Committee was Julian Huxley, Aldous Huxley's brother. He was a huge promoter of eugenics, and much of the U- early UN policy was around the concept of genetic uh, of of eugenics. People think that eugenics went away. Eugenics didn't go away. They've just figured out how to use propaganda to mask it differently. And eugenics so, just means kind of breeding humanity to to the to the best traits kind of, right? Well, that's that's conceptually what it meant, but that turned out to be a disaster and and they were they were implementing and promoting policies of forced sterilization there were a whole bunch of things that were done. And a lot of the elites inbred with each other and had absolutely disastrous consequences as a result of it. Hmm. Um, but it never went away. I mean, I could argue you could look at Planned Parenthood, which started out very much as a eugenics organization. And what their policies are doing are very much around population. And they wanted control. to prevent black people from having kids, right? They Basically. absolutely wanted it, right. it, it explicitly, right? Again, no conspiracy here. You right. can see Margaret Sanger, the, the founder of Planned Parenthood. There was a um, medical director named Dr. Richard Day of Planned Parenthood in the, in the late 60s who gave a, a speech in front of a, a number of other physicians where he talked about the centralized plan of Planned Parenthood and other organizations to implement a lot of things that that are around separating sex from reproduction and and doing a lot of other harmful things, including, you know, by the way, nutrition policy, like the food pyramid. If you look at the growth rate of obesity, and this is this was actually my second company that I started was actually focused on solving the obesity problem. Mm. I used the uh, I used a system had financial incentives would go into corporations and, and would use incentives to reward individuals and teams for losing weight. It was a it was actually a successful program until it got shut down by the government in multiple ways, which that actually fueled my political activism in a mm. material way. But when you look at the growth of obesity and type two diabetes in the United States, it's directly linked to the 1992 USDA food pyramid, which put 11 to 15 servings of carbs at the base. Everything about that food pyramid is not designed to make people healthy. There Mm. was no evidence supporting it. It was absolutely designed to create ill health. No one got fired. No one was called out for it. And I remember reading it in, in health textbooks when I was in, in, in public school, this is what people are indoctrinated on. And so again, this is a separate book and it's going to be an even longer book than this one, because the stuff that I say, you're like, wow, that's outrageous. This seems ridiculous. All of it is, is backed up and it's absolutely horrifying. Uh, 
So when it comes to what should people do, you know, I'm not sitting here saying you should vote for me, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to fix everything. Anybody who says that doesn't understand what the role of president is. I mean, I see this with Vivek, who drives me nuts because I see him Vivek, around yeah. New Hampshire all mm -hmm. the time. 90 percent. The, the stuff he says sounds good on the surface. Right. He has no capacity to implement any of it. He's not running for king. He's not running for CEO. He's running for the role of president of the United States, which is a very has a very specific set of limitations around it. And so yeah, I, and you I, know, and you know, the old in the old days, it it really didn't matter who was president so much as much. Now it matters a lot more because of the bureaucratic state, the administrative state. But I guess what you're saying, which is an interesting comment, is that this even though the administrative state has grown and technically they're under the purview of the executive, the president still really can't do shit. Exactly. That, that's exactly that's exactly the case. I mean, they can do some things. They can make things worse. I mean, I think Biden is making things worse. I think what's going on in Ukraine is shameful and is the product of uh, like, well, I, clearly unethical behavior with financial ties associated with it. So certainly the president can make things worse, but a president doesn't have a, a real capacity to make things that much better, which is why what I focus on and what I focus on in the book, what the solution is to failing fiat and the emergence of CBDC tyranny is people right. taking their money out of the banks and moving it into self-custody, uh, crypto gold and silver. That actually- You're calling for people to take their money out of the banks. And not just take money out of the banks because it's, the, so the, the banks are going to fail. So the again, I talked about fiat currency and kind of the, the death cycle that fiat currency goes through. Our currency is so bad that we used to be on the gold standard up until 1971. So up until 1971, you could convert $35 for one ounce of gold. Nixon abandoned the gold standard because actually we didn't have enough gold and we were having to fund the war in Vietnam and all this other stuff. This is a common trait, by the way. So Rome and other nations end up debasing their currency, and it's usually so that they can support war or give away more you know, pensions or whatever, and then this creates a spiral that leads to collapse. Well, we got off the gold standard in 1971. That's point number one. Now, the way banks work, because people will argue about crypto, and some cryptos are Ponzi schemes. In fact, a lot of them are. Or you look at something like FTX, the, the crypto mm -hmm. exchange that blew up. Well, the the U.S. dollar is absolutely a Ponzi scheme. So banks are only required to have 10% of customer deposits on hand. So if everybody went to the bank uh, and pulled their money It'd out- It'd be over in not, an hour. It would be over in an hour, except it's worse than that. In 2020, because of COVID, they got rid of the 10% reserve requirement. So you may have a bank that has 3% of actual cash on hand, and it gets worse still. If you go, If people go in to take their money out of the bank, most of the banks- have, they're not just sitting on cash. They have the cash in treasuries so that they can earn interest on it. But a lot of them bought long-term treasuries that are mm -hmm. at a lower interest rate because the Fed has hiked up interest rates. So they then have to sell these long-term treasuries at, at a loss. loss. Yeah. So you can see how the system is, uh, it is a, I don't know where to describe it. It's a degenerate Ponzi scheme. But it only even, works. It only works because of the delusional confidence that we have in it. Yes. And we have the delusional confidence only because of propaganda, because if people understood and Henry Ford made a comment about this, a statement about this, if people knew how the banking system works, we would have basically a, a collapse within a day. I mean, it, right. paraphrasing him a little bit, but that's that it, it, people. And there's so, is it, so this is bad, though. Uh, this is bad. Well, 
it maybe maybe you'd be okay with this if we weren't trending towards CBDCs. Well, I wouldn't be okay with it anyway, but but prior to 2009, I wouldn't have had an alternative. Right. So the, so right. the difference here, so so this was bad. And I will tell you, I, I, I was talking about this in 2008 during the financial collapse. In 2008, you know, I was aware that this was going to happen, that fiat was going the direction that it's gone. Look at, and, and the book contains a lot of this information, charts and, and, and interesting information. The dollar has lost 98% of its buying power since 1913 when the Federal Reserve Act was passed. Hmm. It's it's been a gradual erosion. So I mean, a house cost sixteen hundred dollars or whatever in nineteen thirteen. To put this in perspective, we've been trained through propaganda to accept that two to three percent inflation per year is okay, mm. but it's not. That two to three percent inflation per year is waste caused by government spending money and then paying interest to private banks on that. Money. It's a it's been a gradual erosion. So this is why when you see that. In the 1950s, you could have one uh, wage earner support a family of four and have a house, kids to college, and have a car. Fast forward to today, that's not even possible. Why is that the case? Inflation. It, this is and this is Just what purely a result to of the economic the, system we have. You're saying it's the basis of a fiat currency where the government can determine the supply. And the spending of currency. This what I'm saying happens happens a hundred percent of the so time. You could in almost fact, look at COVID. Pardon me. Uh, you could almost look at COVID as the government saying, "Look, we see that fiat's on the way out, and it's either going to be you know crypto or our new way." And let's let's scare everybody right now before they're really ready to embrace crypto, so that you know we can get ourselves in and and get them to embrace the CBDCs. COVID is a was a test run for compliance. COVID wasn't the actual act itself. There will be a, the, a next either plan, you know, false flag emergency or actual emergency that will usher this in. But they they gathered a lot of data hmm. through COVID. They printed 40% of the dollars that were ever in existence. They implemented a bunch of surveillance systems. They've done pilots on CBDCs, three of them successfully. They put in place a new infrastructure. And again, China is the test case for all of this. So the, the one thing that I have to alert people. And again, I, and this is somebody that I, you know, I've been a tech entrepreneur I, and I've been in tech for almost 30 years and I've been in crypto almost since the beginning. So I follow this stuff very closely and I'm telling you, this is a, an unmitigated disaster in terms of how fast this is rolling out and what the intent is behind it. But equally mm -hmm. the financial system, the fiat system is so weak you've already seen $600 billion flow out of the banking system. There's a thing that I, I shared yesterday where like, the Biden administration is looking at freezing people's uh, ability. I haven't been able to confirm the veracity of that, but can freeze the ability of people to take money out of, of the banking system because the money supply is that low. We're facing a debt ceiling right now. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, the banks, it's it, it, as much as 50% of the banks right now might be insolvent. So yeah. I'm urging people to take their money out of the bank and get it over with and convert it because it's not about the banks being unsafe and putting the cash under the mattress. The dollar itself is what is not safe. So you want to convert it to self-custody crypto, gold, and silver. And I stress the self-custody, meaning 
when you buy crypto, have it in your own possession. Don't buy it on an exchange and leave it on an exchange because the exchanges are centralized points of failure. And the history mm. of crypto shows that even the biggest exchanges uh, are subject to hacks, regulatory issues, and a whole variety of other things. So make sure you have your crypto in your own possession. The same is true with gold and silver. Gold and silver... There have been numerous scams, which I also put in the book about, you know, you have people that are holding gold on your behalf and they end up, you know, not having it on your behalf. In fact, we don't even know for sure how much gold is is in Fort Knox. The audits for the United States gold supply are speculative at best. So in a time of, I guess, a lack of trust and a lack of integrity in centralized institutions for right now, uh, I'm promoting this self-custody concept. And we don't have a lot of time. I, like I said, I think it's less than a year. So what I'm talking about is important that people, we the people do now, even before the 2024 election. So but this is, are, a yeah, this, you, is, this is, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. This is a tangible thing that people can do. Yeah, no, I was going to say, your book obviously outlines all the advice that if someone wants to do this, it, it's all in your book, right? It's all in the book to the point where I've got a chapter on, Here's I, my goal. So I've gotten hundreds of people on the crypto over the years and there've been a lot. And I outlined my, some of my experience. Anybody, any regret, anybody who's regretted it? I, I, not people that have, yes. In the following sense, they, they regret it and that they didn't follow my advice. There mm -hmm. are, I have always told people to not leave crypto on exchanges. And a lot of people didn't heed that advice and lost some or all of their crypto. And so this is why, and you'll see, if you're following me on Twitter, you will see periodically, I say, you know, get all crypto off of all exchanges. Um, and it's not a joke. And I say that because it pains me to see people that want to take a step towards financial independence and getting out of the system. And then just out of, you know, often laziness, they don't take the steps necessary to safeguard their own crypto. So that that is one thing that, that I harp on. So I give very explicit steps my goal is to be able to get somebody that's not technical to be able to have self-custody crypto in their own possession in under 15 minutes. So I put that mm. into, into the chapter and I've explained how you can use crypto and I give detailed instructions to pay bills, to you know pay for your cell phone, pay for your mortgage, buy gift cards, uh, be able to convert it to a, a debit card if you need to. Um, I, I put all of that detail in there. And so mm -hmm. it's it's meant to be a very practical guide. And I give similar techniques for how to buy gold and silver and how to protect the gold and silver. But I, I talk about, again, the, the most dangerous words in the English language are, it'll never happen in America. The FDR confiscated gold in the 1930s. And, and even then, when he did that, they would go and seize gold from centralized facilities from 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 uh custodians that would manage gold on other people's behalves if you had your own gold in your own house or in your own safe they weren't going door to door you were still required by law to go and sell your gold to the government at 35 dollars an ounce but if you didn't but there was no real enforcement mechanism on that and what i'm saying is we're at a point where i shouldn't have to convince people about whether or not tyranny is in the United States after 2020. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to, but yet I still do. I, I, I find myself having to drive this home. But at the end, when you read this book, what you will get out of it is a 
very clear dystopian picture at the beginning where I set out this like fictional tale that's almost like a Black Mirror episode type of thing where it explains, oh my God, you know, through social credit scores, you'll be punished for this. You use the wrong pronouns. You share mm. the wrong information on social media, um, so on and so forth. And I show this fictional family having their credit score dropped and then them having to take really drastic actions just to survive based on wow. that so you read this and you're like wow that sounds ridiculous wow that that's a nice happen. way to start the that's a really smart way to start the book with a story and everything in the first chapter everything in the fictional account already exists somewhere in the world today and so from the, in the second mm -hmm. chapter i outline how all of these things whether it the canadian maid system which is state-sponsored euthanasia which is a horrifying so on the one hand i mean as a libertarian you know should you be able to take your own life if you're terminally ill and everything else and that you know you, you mm -hmm. could argue you could make the argument that that's that compassionate thing to do mm -hmm. they have expanded the program so ten thousand people uh were died under the program last year. they've expanded it now to disabilities and increasingly to people that are younger there's an example of a, of a woman that was a quadriplegic who was a, who was a veteran who appealed to the canadian government to build a, uh, a wheelchair ramp and they responded well we can't we can't afford to do that or whatever but we, we recommend the euthanasia we recommend our made euthanasia program uh there was somebody in his 20s that was depressed because he couldn't find a girlfriend and actually the the, the of it was the Canadian government recommending the state-sponsored euthanasia program. This gets more dystopic that's, than I think um, anyone can imagine. And so in the really second startling. chapter, I outline, in the second chapter, I go through that. And then from there, I go through and explain the current state of CBD across the world, including how far it's developed in the U.S. I talk about the globalist influence on this and all of these UN and the other four groups and what they're doing from a policy and sharing of information perspective. I talk about the history and the failure of fiat. And then I walk through crypto, how it works, what the risks are, what the invention is. I go through similar chapters for gold and silver. And then I provide at the end of the book, very pragmatic step-by-step uh, -step examples for how people can engage. It's it's really amazing. Is this the banker's um, last stand basically to, with the CBDCs, they're saying, okay, they're going to get rid of the banks with crypto. So is is the CBDC? Is it really the bankers? It's the it. So it it's the elite that are part of these global organizations. Uh, so there are so it's the large banks in conjunction with the large businesses. So the WEF is just a collection of elitist multinational corporations. And, and with the Davos summit and everything else, if you look at what they put out, they put out policy recommendations and everything that support the UN agenda and that support buttressing large corporations at the expense of small corporations, which includes banks. So it's really just a consolidation of power with a movement towards centralization where really the form of government that they're actually proposing is communism, but it's run by a a, a group of technocrat elites. Is there and anything the uh, idealistic about what they're doing? You know, I know we've already established that it's evil, in, at least in your opinion and many others, but is there anything idealistic about it? Well, there it is idealistic if you have a worldview that... Uh, we live in a materialist world and that centralization is 
the key. I, so this is why I do say that it is evil because it's ideological. I think from perhaps the perspective of the people that are implementing it, they might think that it's ideological. To me, it actually goes right at the core of whether we have free will or not. It's a, a, And so to me, it it assumes a- It takes the choice away. It takes the choice away, but it also makes assumptions about that we know about the nature of reality that they have no business making and that are not justified or even substantiated by science. So I, I, I think that, um, and fundamentally, it's based on scarcity as well, which I think is, is a limiting belief that if you hold that belief, it'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I think it's not true. I mean, Thomas Malthus was talking about, uh, and I, I think I quote him in the book as well, saying that, well, he hopes that people in these big cities die of the plague and, and, and everything else because we need population control because we're going to run out of resources. Well, this was in the 1700s. Mm. That was wrong. And the thing is, people that tend to want centralization tend to think that they know all of the answers. But 8 billion people exercising their own free will in unique combinations can produce limitless possibility. And if you think you can predict the future, it the only way to predict the future is to control it and to limit it. And even mm. then, you're, you're not going to be successful at it. I don't want to know what the world's going to be like 10 years from now. I want right. to be, I want to be right. in a state of amazement and wonder right. about, oh my God, I can't believe this actually happened. This is cool. Imagine this. But if you centrally control things, you limit what is possible based on what a small elite group of people have as their worldview of what is possible. Yeah, and I that buy that. Me, I buy yeah. that. And that's why I, you know, as, as I'm doing this podcast, I, I really have gravitated towards libertarians because I buy that conceptually. So what would you say to someone like my dad and his brothers who are uh, lefties, you know, political activists, and they really just are concerned about poor people from a moral perspective can you address someone like them? And how would you try to convert a guy, an FDR liberal to your camp? You couldn't. Well, maybe, maybe you can, maybe I, I, so, and I put this in the book as well. I, I don't have, I don't have all of the answers. So, which I think is a good thing based on what I just said. I think that if you have unlimited possibility and you have people that are able to engage in voluntary interaction, then anything is possible, which means I can't what will happen. But what I do know is government fails at running and implementing these things. So you have to separate intent from action. Do I want there to be poor people? No, I don't want there to be poor people. Do I? Do, but does government running programs through a centralized bureaucracy help people or hurt people in terms of the diversion of resources and what it takes away from the, I guess, collective choice making capability of society to come up with alternate solutions and i think that's i think that the people that want centralization and want control have a limited worldview and they try to use fear tactics to basically stay unless we have this control unless we solve this problem it can't otherwise be solved and i will tell you this has been a i don't know what the answer is for this i think the productivity gains we're going to have from ai i actually talk about this with with my kids i don't know if people are going to have to work. Right. And Pete Buttigieg years. actually addressed that when he was running in, what was it? 20, uh, 2020, I guess. Um, when he said, we're going to, do you remember this? When he said, cause he's a smart guy. You might've remembered this comment. And he said, we're going to have to figure out a different set, source of identity as the years go on. Work was our identity forever, especially in yes. America. So what is I, our identity? I, and can you address U, the concept of UBI? 
I, I exactly I I can and 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 w without an answer, but 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 can say. So I'm against the state. See, the issue that I have with UBI is that it's state controlled because I even put this in the book. If the UBI is controlled by the state, then the UBI will be attached to CBDCs. If you don't get the vaccine, you don't get the vaccine passport, you don't get your UBI. The UBI could be used as an absolute hammer. So mm -hmm. I, I think UBI, to the extent that it, it's implemented, would need to be implemented in a way open source. Where, there are no, where there are no strings attached in open right. source. And and in my opinion, and this is the key, and I don't know how to do this, it needs to be voluntary. I believe there is probably a way to do it, not that I have the answer for it, but mm -hmm. I can see a voluntary open source UBI system. And I do agree with that point about, I've talked to people, I talked to my wife about this, I've even talked to my kids about this. I don't believe that identity is going to be associated with your role being a cog in an economic system. Mm -hmm. Now, and I know we're going in weird directions on this, but, but I, so where I actually spend my, do I want to be a politician? No. Do I want to be president? Is this an aspiration of mine? No. Do I want the power of it? No, I want freedom. I want free will for everyone, for my kids. And, and this presidential platform is a platform ended and direct actionable advice that people can do outside of voting. And then if I did get elected, there are certainly things that I can do, but it's limited. It's like 0.1% of the impact. Mm -hmm. The 99.9% .9 of the impact Here's happens the from, from people making their own choices, which they can make today. And they're not choices about the voting booth. They're choices about what information they choose to listen to, what they choose to put in their bodies, whether or not they choose to participate in the fiat system, et cetera. Th those are powerful choices. And I went through some personal transformation myself and I'll, that's a conversation for another day. But there are some aspects of this. When I'm going to switch a little bit to the globalists and Yuval Harari, who wrote the book Sapiens. Yeah, who, I actually read that. Yeah. And he has a big, he's left a big indelible mark on the WEF and, 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 and how so? How so? Well, I, I think a, a lot of people are uh, are looking at, at, at his guidance and some of the things that he said. One of the things that he suggested. I don't know if it was Sapiens or one of the other books, but is the idea that we need to manufacture another religion uh, and that historically looking at the development of civilization, once you get beyond, I'm, I'm going to be wrong about the number, but 100 people or 200 people or whatever, you need to have some common myth that people believe right. in order to, to hold the fabric together. I think that is fundamentally wrong. I think that what we should be doing and what we don't do, because our identity is so tied up in materialism tied up in our role as cogs in an economic machine that we don't spend time actually questioning the nature of reality, the nature of consciousness and everything else. Mm. Uh, imagine what happened if we, if, if instead of manufacturing myths as belief systems that are supposed to be what we follow and then don't question as to the nature of reality, what if we took an open approach mm. without digging, our investigating into reality and, and investigating it? So I'm very, I'm personally very interested in consciousness and 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 the nature of reality and have me been too and, and different dimensions and whatever different dimensions i've gotten big into uh meditation and mm. i uh, uh i've gotten involved with dr joe dispenza he's he's a an interesting guy he wrote a book called uh becoming superhuman he has these meditation retreats and that got me into uh the monroe institute which has some fascinating stuff and then a guy named tom campbell who wrote a book called my big theory of everything he actually proposed that essentially the 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 universe is a simulation but mm -hmm. uh, and in this three volume book but there are meditation techniques and things that you can do that are 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 phenomenal and so to me i i 
I, and I, by the way, I'm coming at this as I was an objectivist. I was the CEO of a group called the Atlas Society, which promoted Ayn Rand's I'm exploring these other things that is completely contrary to to hold on you cut out there after you said Ayn Rand you you were part of a group that I that promoted Ayn Rand's philosophy I was involved with the Atlas Shrugged movies right. and, and everything else but I have in the last four years really explored consciousness and and uh the nature of reality it from direct experience in ways that that suggests that that no it's not this existence is not based on materialism and it has mm. me certainly asking more questions than having answers but to me that's that's a great thing that's what an amazing that's really an amazing comment um to say okay as we exit this financial cog paradigm let's the role of humanity in, in our society will be to investigate our reality because what else are we going to do <laughs> exactly i mean really i mean it's, it's it's really quite interesting what do you think about aliens i have to ask you I don't know. I, I, you know, I've, cause I've studied that as well. I, I and I've, I've, um, I think any intro, I mean, I think, I just think it's a fascinating, I think any person who's into any intellectual pursuits has to be interested in the concept of aliens. You just have to. Well, I think that there's the theory of if this universe is as vast as, as, as it appears to be, then the likelihood of there being aliens is really high. But then the other theory is that there's just, if this is a simulation, then there really aren't. And what we see mm. out there doesn't even necessarily exist. I think that there are, multiple parts of it but i i've looked into that but as, how could as, it be a as, simulation if it wasn't created by people inhabiting a real universe which therefore means there have to be more i don't know it's amazing it's just amazing uh, and, and is... steven if you've seen any of steven greer's stuff i find steven greer's stuff to be interesting on this he wrote uh unacknowledged he's done a series of of uh of, of movies about and, and he briefs congress and presidents and so forth on on his involvement with this whole extraterrestrial movement uh, and technology and everything. He's, he, he's an interesting. So I, so the, the answer is I, I'm open-minded and fascinated by it. Mm. And, and I, and I, you know, I, again, I, the more curiosity that we have and the more that we embrace, embrace choice and the ability to explore the unknown. I, to me, the excitement with life happens with the unknown, not with the predictable. And so I guess in some respect, when I talk about CBDC and my anti-globalist view, it, it really truly is about maximizing uh, choice and the ability to explore the unknown. Well, it's fascinating because you come from this background where you went to a, a school for gifted math and science and you have this tech entrepreneurship. Um, so when you say that, I, I believe it and it means something. Um, so the, there's something there's got to be something there for someone like you uh, to choose bottom up over top down i'll take that um at face value yep well yeah. no, you'll 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 find the things that i say are not necessarily popular and i will speak the truth i'm not out pandering I, aaron where can we go to support you website uh, day 2024.com and um, i'm on twitter at aaron r day which is where you can find me most of the most of the times so those are the two best ways to reach me all right. Well, and I just want to. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. When is Porkfest? Uh, uh, Porkfest is, I believe, it starts the week. It's the week of June nineteenth. I'll have okay. to double so check. So we got that. time. Anyone who wants to go can still figure that out. Uh, yeah, I, I believe it's. I don't think it's sold out yet, but it will be. Usually, two thousand people, so it's going to be mm -hmm. huge. Amazing. I I really should consider going. If I wasn't studying for the bar exam, I, I would go actually. 
Well, I can't thank you enough, Aaron. This has been a really cool conversation. I wish you all the best. I'm going to be supporting you just because I like you and I think people like you should be given a, a chance, man. I mean, this is amazing. I'm just, I'm going to be following with interest, I should say. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you for doing this. I think it's great that you're getting uh, a lot of perspective on this and uh, yeah. uh, open-minded in the approach. I think that's... Yeah. That's, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. A true pleasure talking to you and I uh, hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. Good luck with the bar exam. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye.